This morning, we begin on a new path together, and I expect over the next two months that this will be a time of discovery and growth for every one of us. Uh, the big idea which will guide us in January and February is this. Uh, there is a treasure in us which many of us do not know and most of us do not experience. God himself has given a gift to which anyone who is working at trusting Jesus has free access. And yet, even though this gift is valuable beyond anything that we could imagine, for most of us, it remains distant beyond or beneath the margins of our awareness so that practically speaking, it's like we have a treasure which is hidden. It's ours but we don't know it. And the consequence is that most of us live as if we are spiritually poor, even though we are spiritually rich by God's grace. Now, in some measure, uh, it's always been like this for people who are seeking to know God. As long as men and women have gathered to try to grow in faith and know Jesus like we gather here. And by the way, wherever you are in faith, I suspect that you're here to grow a bit. And as long as that's been the case, men and women together have had a hard time accepting and experiencing the riches which are indeed theirs by God's grace. The Christians in Ephesus are a good example. In that community, the, the, the person uh, who addressed himself to them, wanting them to grow in faith, Paul, he prayed for them in this way. Look at his words. This is in Ephesians 1, verses 17 and 18. I pray that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may come to know what are the riches of God's glorious inheritance among the saints. That's a prayer of a man who looked at a group of people gathered together to follow Jesus. And what he saw was on the one hand, a gathering of people who were wealthy beyond what they could ever imagine because by God's grace, he'd given them his own spiritual riches beyond what they could ever dream. That was on the one hand. But on the other hand, he also knew that their experience of life was such that they felt day after day to be quite impoverished. Now, whether they were materially wealthy or not, Spiritually, they felt as if they were poor. Uh, do you know what that's like? Uh, and what Paul believed is that their real problem was not that they were poor. It was rather that the eyes of their hearts were closed to the riches which God had already given them. And therefore, what they needed was to have the eyes of their hearts opened. Now, I believe that we here need the same and I'm not saying that because I think some of you are deficient in the ways that others or I am not. The truth is I need to have the eyes of my heart opened also because every time I languish in, and I'll make this plain as we go along, spiritual poverty, it's not because I'm poor. It's because I've forgotten the riches which are mine. And what I mean to do with us gathered together here is the same which I believe was in Paul's mind when he prayed like this for the folks in Ephesus. It is to do my best to help your heart's eyes be opened so that you would see the riches that are yours even though you don't often experience them. 
Uh, in 2016, in the very beginning of that year, there was a news story that ran about a homeless man named John Helinski. Uh, John lived in downtown Orlando. He'd been homeless for years. Uh, his home was a cardboard box near the bus station. Uh, years earlier, he'd lost his wallet, his ID. He slipped into homelessness, and he was barely surviving when in the winter of 2015, he was met by a social worker who specialized in helping people in situations like his. The social worker was named Charles Inman. Uh, Charles brought John first to the tax office so there he could get a temporary ID. With the temporary ID, they went on to the State Department to find a birth certificate. With these two documents in hand, they went down to the Social Security office and there they made a very surprising discovery. For years, John had been receiving Social Security benefits, but he didn't know it. And these had been building up in a, a forgotten bank account, which also had be, been receiving a pension from a job that he had had a decade earlier. And so the two of them together found that there was for John a wealth of resources enough to get him a lease at an apartment, to pay his rent month after month, and to provide for him a life in a comfortable space instead of going on living in a box he could live in his own home. In fact, he'd been languishing, not because he had to, but because his treasure was hidden from him. Do you see it? What Charles did for John is what I hope to do for all of us here together, which is to show us that if we ourselves are right now living in effect in spiritual homelessness, it's not because we have to, but rather if we can discover the treasure which is ours, then we ourselves can begin to thrive in the way that God at every moment is waiting for us to. I want to be Charles Inman, and if you're you know, connecting the dots, you're wondering if I think you're a homeless man living in a box. <laughs> Sorry. Are we still friends? <laughs> I want to put it right out at front because this is going to take us two months to unfold, but the hidden treasure which each of us has access to as we're learning to trust Jesus is God's own spirit dwelling within us. A God himself, not far away, not forgetting about us, not nowhere when we need him or all the way up there looking down on us and judging us, but rather by his grace for every man and every single woman who with a mustard seed sized faith is working at following him and trusting him right inside of us, dwelling within us, an incomparable treasure that we ourselves carry about every moment. This morning, I want you first to see the historical roots of this outstanding claim I will not answer every question, but I want to open us onto this beautiful path by going back to understand where we are now to a day generations earlier where God himself made an astounding promise to one man who lived in a time of incomparable spiritual poverty. The man's name was Ezekiel. Uh, and he was a prophet who listened carefully to God and, and loved the people who were around him who were suffering and, and what God told Ezekiel is that he was going to do something to change everything. And here I want your hopes and your expectations to be too good to be true. And I mean that. 
if you know what it is to be spiritually poor, and a long time ago you gave up hoping because you don't have the strength to make it happen, I want to tell you, on the one hand, you don't have the strength to make it happen, but on the other hand, the promise of God all the way back then and fulfilled in Christ now is for you. And I want to start by going back to Ezekiel and ask you to watch the contours of God's promise to those people so that we can know his promise to us. This is in Ezekiel 36. God makes the following promise through Ezekiel to the people of his day. Verse 26, a new heart I will give you. That's God speaking to the people. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove from your body that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is high and beautiful poetry. Drawing on images which communicate better than the, the best description that anyone could ever give, a stone heart replaced with a flesh heart. A heart that's inflexible and stubborn and never will move. It can't feel. Maybe it's tried to protect itself because the last time it risked opening up, it was hurt. And so now it's become a stone. But here, the word of God says, I'm going to take that out and I'm going to put a flesh heart in there. Will it be strong and will it be safe? No, it will be vulnerable and maybe it will be broken again, but it will be able to feel. It will be able to experience. It can move and respond to what's happening in the world around. Yes, it can be shattered, but it also can grow strong in love. The heart, the center of this promise is captured in the first two clauses there, a new heart and a new spirit. In ancient Hebrew, the spirit was understood in very earthy terms. The word in Hebrew is ruach. And that's a word that if you can make it sound like that, you want to say it in front of people, ruach. It literally means breath or wind and then also spirit. When God made Abram, uh, excuse me, when God made Adam in his own image and built him up, he breathed into Adam his ruach. It's the animating principle that enables life. Adam and Eve there, they add this, uh, spirit in them to live. Why? Because God loved them and wanted to have unbroken communion with them. That's why God made humanity. But Adam and Eve turned away and therefore their ruach, their spirit was shattered and broken and turned away from God and it was to their own detriment. But God didn't give up. The heart, that's another image in ancient Hebrew. It doesn't just mean the place where your feelings come from, although it does mean that. The place where you're jealous when you wish you could be proud of your friend for their success? The place where you cower in anxiety and fear, where you wish you could be courageous? That's your heart. It's not just that though for the ancient Hebrew, it's also the place where your thoughts come into your mind. The thoughts which tell you, based on all of the available evidence, I should give up and never hope again. Or, or the part of your mind that says, yes, but I trust and I know and therefore I won't give up. That's your heart also, according to the ancient Hebrews. It's also the center of your will. That part of you, which when it has felt and when it has thought things through is able to either move you this way, which is the right way and you know it, or the wrong way, even though you don't want to. Do you know that place? Again, imagine this promise, a new heart and a new spirit. I will give you. This was the promise that God spoke through Ezekiel to a gathering of people who were utterly impoverished spiritually because what God wanted was for them to have an internal revolution, uh, an entire restoration on the inside that would work itself out on the outside. So they no longer lived in spiritual poverty. I know that many of us live in spiritual poverty, though we might not use that language for it. 
And here I want to be specific, and I want you to use your own imagination and tell me um, if you can relate to this constantly feeling far from God, like he's on the other side of the world instead of right there with you and wishing he would be close. Have you felt that? That's spiritual poverty. No tangible experience at all of God's love and care and affection for you personally. Have you felt that? That you can say with your mind, I know he loves me, but your heart says, no, he doesn't. That's spiritual poverty. Only this much clarity about what your life is for and just wishing you could know the purpose. That's spiritual poverty too. Worried and anxious more than at peace and confident. A general sense of absence of assurance or trust in God himself. Insecure and unsure about how to talk to God or speak about God to the people in your life who would like to know what you believe. Low levels of joy and compassion uh, for other people, mostly overwhelmed by life circumstances. Not a lot of hope when you look down the road and making little progress in the ways that you believe God himself wants you to. Every one of these is a sign of spiritual poverty. It's the condition in which many of us live day after day and the one that many of us have been lured to expect as ordinary. And what I want you to know is we shouldn't be okay with it. Did you hear that? That I want to come with you and say, would you let me guide you away from this cardboard box into the life that you were made for? That's what God meant to do through Ezekiel. And there was a reason why God wanted to deliver his people from that spiritual wasteland then. And it's similar to what I must set before you now. Listen, if, if, if I give you the impression that this is all about your personal benefit, I've sold you and the world that God loves short because the reason God actually wants you personally to be thriving in the wealth that is yours isn't just for you. It is for you, but it's for the people who will be drawn to God because you walk in, in the power that he's given you. I know this for sure. In Ezekiel's day, when Ezekiel made this promise from God to the people, God was explicit. He said, Ezekiel, I want you to tell the people why I'm going to deliver them, why I'm going to give them a new heart and a new spirit. It's in verse 22. It actually comes before the one that I read you. Here's what God said through Ezekiel. It's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act. Um, just an aside, here God's speaking in ultimate terms. Of course, it's to their benefit that God's gonna give them this new blessing, but ultimately that's not the goal. And God wants to be explicit about that. But for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I hear a bit of history is helpful. In the exile, when the people were scattered away from the promised land, all of their neighbors had heard about the God of these people who were now living all around them. And when they wanted to know about who that God was, they looked at the people who lived near them and bore his name. And that's how they got information about what God was like. And in Ezekiel's day, the information they were getting about God wasn't accurate and God wasn't okay with that because he loved their neighbors. Can you see that pattern? You know, this still happens today. Do you know that or not? If you don't know that, I'm gonna tell an illustration to make you know it. Okay, that was a very, very small chuckle, so you're getting the illustration. I was with a dear friend and his wife. She's a believer and he isn't. And I've been praying for him and hoping that he'll come to faith because I want that for him. And by the way, if you're not a person of faith, but you're here exploring, welcome and I'm glad you're here. I hope that you'll come to faith. 
And she hoped for that for her husband too. And, and at the meal, she said, oh, I just wish you believed like we do. And he looked at her and he said in all sincerity, you know, I don't understand why you say that because you worry more than anyone else I ever know. You're as insecure as anyone else I've ever met. You seem as uncertain and scared as anyone else. Why would I want to believe what you believe? Do you see that? Does it sound like a very mean husband? <laughs> he can be pretty biting. But what God wants, listen, is not only for you to experience the wealth that he offers for you, but through you for others. And that's what God wants for Renaissance Church, by the way, too. That for this church to become a spiritually rich place so that in God's hands we become a beautiful instrument for goodness in the world around us, in which he's placed us, so that the world can be blessed as he means it to. When we accept the treasure in us, we become instruments of riches for others, and that's just what God wants. How will it happen? Well, the promise that God made through Ezekiel, the first part was a new heart and a new spirit for his people. That's only the first part. The second part is even more astounding, and it comes in verse 27. Look at the second part of God's promise. This is 27. I will put my spirit within you. That's God himself making a promise to those people who will receive this new heart and new spirit. I will put my own spirit within you, God says, and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. The statutes and ordinances that God wanted them to follow were the pathways to true life that God had given them when he gave them the law. Uh, not a way to prohibit them from having fun, but rather the pathways to true life where they could thrive and grow just as God meant them to. And, and, and when God looked at his people, he said, I know you can't help yourself. So I my, myself am gonna intervene and give you exactly what you need to thrive on my ways, to follow my statutes and ordinances. I'll take care of that in you. I'm gonna enable you to do that. How will that happen? It's in the first clause there, which is an absolutely mind-blowing promise for those first people, and it should be for us, when God says, I will put my own spirit within you. Please understand this. Anyone who's familiar with the Torah the, and the history, the, the books that were given to God's people will know that the spirit of God is synonymous with the very presence of God himself. And the presence of God is a source of immeasurable power to do the good things which God's people need but can't do for themselves. That's what God's presence is. That's what his spirit is. It's God himself. Do you know the story of God's people trapped in Egypt when they're oppressed there and everything in life is ruined because they're owned by the Egyptians? Do you know that story? And they're delivered from that uh, miserable situation when Moses leads them out. Do you remember when Moses met the presence of God in the burning bush? If you don't know that story, it's remarkable. God appears in fire in a bush and that's God's presence with the promise, I will deliver the people from oppression. You're gonna do it with my spirit, I'm gonna lead you. And that's the spirit of God, the power to deliver people who are oppressed. When the people were delivered and they went into the wilderness, now they didn't know which way to go and it was God who led them up onto the mountain where Moses went up and in the fire and in the smoke, there was the presence of God again to give them his law, the way to a life in which they would utterly thrive. Yet again, we see the presence 
presence of God in the power to show the people which way to go. Then they get into the desert wanderings. And for many years, they wander in the desert. And it's hard. What sustains them in the desert? Again, it's the power and the presence of God's own spirit in the pillar of fire and in the smoke. They're in the tabernacle. It's God's presence with them to sustain them through impossible life circumstances. Can anyone relate? Yes, uh, over and over again, all throughout the history of God's people, when they build the temple in the center of Jerusalem, it's the presence of God's spirit in the middle of the temple, which blesses his people. Here, when Ezekiel tells them that God's promise now is to give the spirit of God himself to dwell within you, it is the promise of the power evident and effective in all of these ways, no longer out there, or on the mountain, or in the temple, but right in here, in the new heart, which God creates for his people, and the new spirit, the promise is God himself will dwell right there within them. Do you see the riches that are promised? Ezekiel did not know in detail when he made this promise how God would finally fulfill this outstanding promise. But we are on the other side of the fulfillment and it, it is to our benefit to look back and know that when Jesus Christ was born, the promise of God's presence dwelling within anyone who will work at trusting him had begun in a new way. Uh, when he was born, he was called Emmanuel. Do you know what that means? God is with us. There in the flesh, Jesus day after day grew, embodying the very presence of God with us. And then when he was about to go and die, he told his followers, his disciples, in a little while, you won't see me any longer. He let them know he was going to die. They were dismayed because they thought he'll never be with them again. And I hope some of you know this. He made a promise to them. He promised that even though I go, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Does some of you know that promise? That's in Matthew. Uh, and then when he came back uh, and rose again, they wanted to hold on to him to keep him because he, they thought that was the only way he would be with them. And he said, no, I will breathe upon you this breath, this spirit. And anyone who is working at trusting me, anyone, any man or woman who says, enough of trying to make life work on my own terms, I can't do it. I'm a wreck. Uh, my sin and my misdeeds and my missteps have kept me impossibly from God. I give myself to Christ and let him be the Lord for me and guide me at every day. Anyone who says that does not have only in Christ a guide out there, but rather an indwelling presence, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, the spirit of Christ himself dwelling within her, within him at all times. And if you don't experience life like that, can I ask you not to assume it's because you are truly poor, but instead to accept that maybe you haven't learned yet to see the riches which are there all along. To say, maybe I'm like John Helinski. And I need to say this too, that I live in spiritual homelessness, not because I have to, because God is faithful and trustworthy. When I came to him and trusted him, he gave me his spirit and therefore he's within me. Yes, perhaps he's been buried beneath so many other things and concerns, but maybe I can learn to uncover that hidden treasure. And by the way, that is exactly what I mean to do in these 
months ahead is to help you see how to do that so that I can experience the wealth and the riches that God has given me already in Christ. What if you were to experience these riches? Can I tell you that this is what you should expect? Listen now. You should expect that each day you are growing. It's a steady process for you because God's internal influence is changing you bit by bit. When you make mistakes, you're okay with that because you know there's another step because God inside of you encourages you even when you make a mistake. That's what you should expect. You should expect, listen now, that when you're guilty about the wrong thing, instead of that guilt making you wanna run away from God, instead, because of the spirit of God within you, you are confident to turn toward him, tell him exactly what you've done wrong because you know when you do, you're gonna receive mercy and renewal and be strong again. That's what you should expect. You should expect that the power that you need and don't have on your own to show others how good God is through your ordinary life will come inside of you because the spirit of Christ is making a difference in you that other people can see and not a difference that attracts them to you, but to him. You should expect that the tools that you need to do the good work that you've always suspected God wants you to do are right there in your hands and God in you will teach you how to use them each and every day. You should expect, listen to this, that the strength you need to make it through this affliction, which you don't have, will be provided each day so that you'll trust him more as he himself empowers you to move through the hateful circumstances that you can't get rid of, but that he is enough to carry you through. That's what you should expect. You should expect that even if the whole world falls down around you and the mountains tumble into the sea, you still have enough hope for tomorrow because that's what the spirit does. Do you see the riches that you should receive if you would open yourself up to this treasure? If you feel like your life is impossibly far away from this, please listen now. And you've never come to Jesus in faith, asking him to be your Lord, your savior, your friend, your guide, your deliverer, then listen now, you should not expect much to change in your life no matter how hard you try. And I mean that. I do not believe we can have the life that we're meant to have until we surrender ourselves to Jesus. And so if you've never done that, you should do that right now in your heart. You should say, God, I, would you if this is all true, if you, if you still have so much doubt, if this is all true, would you please take me and give this gift to my heart now? Give me a new heart and a new spirit and put yourself within me. You should do that right now if you've never done that before. And, and if and when you do, listen now, Maybe there'll be a, a change that is sudden and complete and total. Maybe not. Maybe you'll need to work through it day by day. That's how it is, by the way, for most of us who come to faith. If you've come to faith and learned that you have to work through it, can you give that other person some form of assurance? Yes, yes, is it like that? Yes, please, they need more than that, yes? Yes, we need to work at it. If you're among the others who've asked him to come, but gosh, that heart of yours has grown stony and it feels like he's miles away, Here's what I want to do for you. Uh, I, 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 this, is, this is me. I want to guide you in the way that you can discover personally that this promise that was spoken all the way back in Ezekiel is not too good to be true. And I'm not going to convince you of it or argue with you about it. I'm going to do the best that I can in God's hands, not just today. This is just the beginning but next week and the week after and all the way through the end of February to teach. 
And I'm praying that God would give me the tongue of a teacher to sustain and support you with the words that he gives. And I want God to do that for you individually and for Renaissance Church altogether so that we can, in, in the hands of God, become an instrument that he uses for the good things that he has planned. Uh, for us personally, and by the way, you cannot be too young and you cannot be too old for this. Uh, I wanna add this, you can't be um, too bad for this and neither can you be too good for this. If you're thinking, I, I've already got this. When's he gonna get into the deep stuff? No, start again. Every one of us, let us start again and say, all right, at the beginning of this day and tomorrow the same and the next day, say, God, will you develop me? Will you begin to make me more aware of your spirit within me? So in your hands, I am that person who's growing. It is not too much to hope that you would have a daily living experience of his spirit. How will it happen? Here, I'm going to be Charles Inman, the social worker for the homeless one who doesn't need to be. Here it is. Two things, and they're this simple for today. The first is that this will only come about if you apply yourself to learning. And therefore, I commit myself to apply me to teaching. And that means that next week and the week after and the week after that, as much as you can be present for this time together, you will make more progress. That's number one. And if you can't come each week, I'm gonna tell you, you should tune in online. We have these messages online. Watch them, take notes. Do not be passive and expect that everything's gonna happen for you. You've gotta work. And if you can't come in the morning, and you don't have internet, you're a Luddite, you've held out, you think this whole WWW thing is like a, a passing fad, then come at five o'clock, we have an evening service. Did you know that? Yes or no? If you don't know that, there's a lot more seats there, so come. That's number one. And then here's the second thing, okay? And this is just a fact. You must practice daily communion with God to begin experiencing this. And you will not get anywhere just by being a passive listener. On the other hand, your eye, the eyes of your heart will begin to be enlightened and opened as you practice two things every day. First is listening to God's word through the scriptures. And second is practicing thoughtful speech with God through prayer. And if you have no idea how to do that, I have a solution that I'm offering which is that every morning at 7 a.m. on Monday through Friday for these next six weeks after this one, I offer a message, a text message to anyone who wants one. Not on Saturday, because that's my day off and you should rest too. But if you would text the word treasure to 555-888. Now, you can do that now if you want. You will receive uh, Monday through Friday a message in which I give you a very simple passage of scripture to read and a few thoughts for your daily practice of experiencing this treasure. If you and I do this together, we will see God uncover the riches for us that are ours already. 
Uh, now I want to ask you to join me in prayer as we ask him to bless us. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for the gift of this time this morning, which is the beginning of a new adventure for us as a church. We ask very simply that through the power of your spirit, you would empower us at each step to be open to what you will do to uncover the gift which you've given to all of us who have faith so that we can begin to embrace and experience the riches which are our by your grace and which we need to begin to experience. We love you and thank you for your word and for your presence with us now. Would you continue to be at work in us to grow us in Jesus' name, amen.